Welcome to Focal Length. This is a podcast about photography, life, and everything in between. So, are you running yet? You might catch the reference if you listened to the previous episode. It's where I talked about how uh, if you are sitting around waiting for a sign, waiting for somebody to tell you it's time to go, you need to get out there and actually do the things that you think you have to do, the things you think you want to do, those things that are, you've been holding back on because, quote-unquote, it's just not time. And I also talked a bit about time management previously. I talked about how uh, it can be sometimes difficult to get out there and actually spend the time on the things that you're looking for. This episode, I wanted to bring some of that back with the real-world example. I did mention the Great Reno Balloon Race last episode, and this weekend is when that happened. Now, if you can imagine, the biggest and most exciting pieces of this particular balloon festival, which happens to be the uh, largest free balloon festival event in the U.S., and no, they're not paying me to say that, uh, is that the, the things that happened pre-dawn. If you've never been to a balloon festival and seen what they call a glow show or what they call a dawn patrol, it's a pretty impressive thing to go for. It's uh, you can imagine hot air balloons are typically multicolored. They're bright, they're cheerful, there's a variety of patterns. And then if you light them up from the inside using uh, some of their, uh, as it turns out, uh, emergency backup burners, not the ones that they primarily inflate and fly with, but ones that will generate more light, more color, you get these stark light bulbs, if you will, a light bulb effect of the balloons against the pre-dawn sky, wherever you are. If you've got clouds, if you've got stars, you've got all sorts of things going on there. And typically these shows will include musical accompaniment, announcements, coordinated lighting. If you have you know a variety of balloons out there with different uh, positionings, different uh, colorings, you get a... a, a it, it, the effect is really difficult to describe unless you see it on video or you're there for yourself. It's a pretty awesome thing to see. Now, how does that relate to what I'm talking about? Well, in order to see this, as you might have picked up on, I've mentioned a couple of times, it's in the pre-dawn darkness. It means you have to be up early enough to actually get out to the event. Events like this are typically pretty popular, and so parking or transportation into the event uh, can be difficult. So uh, for the scenario I'm describing, 2.30 a.m. was the alarm time set for that. At that point, you've got to get up. You've got to get your gear together, depending on how organized you were the night before. You have to get to the event location. Sometimes that's you driving and parking. Sometimes that's public transportation. It could be a rideshare. Any number of ways of actually getting out there and then finding a spot that is suitable for what you want to try and capture. The best time to do some of this is when they're getting set up and so it helps to do some research ahead of time to get a feel for where on the premises the balloons are going to be where the people are going to be where there might be issues with angles uh, being blocked by other things going on and it, particularly if you're trying to photograph it versus just simply be a spectator and of course uh, these sorts of things i'm talking about right here apply to any event that you're trying to get out to, not just balloon races. It just happens to be the example we've got at hand. 
So you've spent a better portion of the day before getting prepared. You've uh, lost sleep in the process of getting up and getting out there, unless you are either a night owl who didn't go to bed the night before, or if you are a morning person who's naturally up at unreasonable hours. Then you get out there, you get set up, time to do your test prints, or not test prints, but test photos. Go ahead and start exploring with your exposures. If you are uh, working on auto, then it's a good time to start seeing how your auto program mode is going to respond. If you are working on your technique as well as your content, this is also another great time because you're going to have some really challenging lighting when it comes to events, nighttime events, pre-dawn events, morning events, where there is artificial lighting around the participants who are trying to get ready to do their thing. So you can start exploring multi-second exposures, start playing with your ISO, play with your aperture, learn what the results are, because this is a great time in the, uh, in the setup phase to take photos that you can learn, that you can study when you get home, when you're processing them. Not for the sake of having those images printed or showing them off to other people, but for your own improvement. Now this specifically is a good thing to bring up right now because when I was out there, uh, I got set up, I got, uh, was doing my test shots. I happened to wind up next to a couple of ladies who had driven more than two hours to be at the event coming in from another town. They were amateur photographers, and I don't say that with any uh, derogatory nature. They themselves say they were just getting started learning. They're part of a photo club, and they wanted to see what they could do. And a discussion started up about getting their tripods set up, getting, you know, digging their stuff out of the bags at night. Another thing, another side tip that's related to this, get yourself a head-mounted, headband-mounted light. You can do this at various home improvement stores. Make sure that it has a red light option because the white light that your typical flashlights use, the white light that comes off of your smartphone flashlight, uh, the, these will cause your eyes to adjust to new sets of light and interfere with your ability to actually see for seconds at a time when you turn that light off turn on a red light, you're still going to be able to tell what you're doing. You're able to get into your bag, get your gear out, get set up. But it won't interfere nearly as much with your ability to then turn around and almost immediately go back to the work at hand, capturing the images you're looking for. So, that aside, these ladies were trying to get set up. They uh, uh, wound up asking for some help. They, uh, they wanted they were excited about the opportunity to get out there, but they were uh, concerned about getting the perfect shot. You got to imagine this is, you know, 3.30 in the morning at this point. You still have um, probably a half hour before the balloons start firing up. You still have plenty of time to relax, get prepped, get, uh, explore your environment. And uh, what I was hearing was uh, considered an unfortunate what it uh, came around to was that uh, they had uh, not been yet encouraged to simply explore. and Or at least if they had been encouraged to explore, they hadn't yet taken that lesson to heart yet. That's the sort of thing 
that I would, if I uh, would would mention to anybody listening who is uh, who would put themselves in the aspiring category or the uh, amateur category in the sense of you're just getting going, if you are uh, in pretty much any artistic endeavor, except for ones that involve personal harm, what I, what I told these ladies is the same thing I would tell you: get out there and make as many mistakes as you can. Of course, that sounds kind of silly, right? But no, in the world of digital photography, where the quote-unquote cost of a mistake is a few seconds of time, and the benefit of a mistake is that potentially uh, uh, a fundamental shift in what it is that you see, how you develop your eye, what you do next time in order to capture the image that you saw in your head, there's almost no cost to taking the wrong frame. There are purists out there who say that you should be like uh, as deliberative as Ansel Adams in the sense of maybe you take four photos a day if you're lucky. Uh, and that was you know, one day out of 20. I would disagree with that. Not that you shouldn't see, you shouldn't, not that you shouldn't plan, not that you shouldn't do your best to uh, visualize and compose what it is you're trying to capture. But one, you've got to remember that Adams and photographers like him uh, were professionals. They had already spent a bunch of time making mistakes. They had already honed their craft by the time that any of the examples that are trotted out would have happened. When you can take a thousand images and maybe you only get one or two out of it, but if you, the time that you spend going through those images and seeing, oh, well, I didn't focus here or, oh, uh, I, that's that captured what I meant to capture, but then there's all the stuff around it. So composition, framing is important there. When you understand that as much as any other artistic endeavor, photography is a practice as much as it is an art, you need to free yourself from the bonds of perfection and get out there and shoot. So that's what I encourage these ladies to do. And, and uh, I, am felt, I felt gratified that they seemed to take me up on that idea. And just all of a sudden, they started chuckling, they started laughing. You could almost feel the change from the, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I going to get anything useful? To, oh, look at that. Or, hey, I got some shots. Or uh, they were showing me what they were getting. I was showing them what I was getting. And I definitely specifically took a moment away from what I was trying to shoot, especially during the time when everything was uh, still uh, flexible, when the, the show itself hadn't started yet, to go over, encourage, give tips, to uh, uh, give feedback on some of the ones, because with, especially with the um, image review on the back of every camera these days, you can pretty easily see what people are doing. The community of photographers, in most cases, is indeed self-supporting it's awesome and the whole idea of communities um, photographers binding together bounding together in communities is going to come up in another episode as well in fact the other episode was probably what i was planning on doing for this one except you know plans change and in fact we got to the point where uh, these ladies were asking me if i taught photography classes and i definitely do not i still have lots of to learn myself just like we all do and yet their experience was improved by my experience in a situation that could very easily have gone the other way. If you are out 
whether you are new or whether you are practiced, if you are around other people, do your best to be positive. Do your best to encourage the others around you or to be encouraged by them. You never know what's going to come out of it. I'm reasonably sure that these ladies, when they review the results back with their photography club, uh, when they get back to their hometown, that there's going to be some stuff in there that they never thought they could get there. And uh, I'm excited for them for when that happens because it's such a great feeling. I'm sure you have experienced it if you're listening to this. And if you haven't, get out and shoot and make as many mistakes as you can. So the Great Rainer Balloon Race was an awesome opportunity to meet other interesting people, to get some great photos. I do have at least a few coming out of the session that uh, I'm going to be uh, sharing in various venues. I don't. It's a three-day event. I don't know if I'm going to go back for the third day. It's pretty tough to get up that early and, and have that on top of the rest of your day, but that's the sort of thing that all of us have to deal with if we're going to commit to our craft, if we are going to run. Now, on the topic of mistakes, I want to stay on that part, but pivot a little bit to a different part and talk about this podcast specifically uh, in the concept of ambient noise. You may actually notice uh, that various portions of the podcast, you get some, some different noise back there. I do try to process most of it out. But the idea that the things around you interfere with what you're trying to create is uh, definitely true if it's an overwhelming sort of thing. The opportunity to take advantage of it, though, to give your work character is one of those things that I think is uh, unsung. It is un misunderstood and it is not taken advantage of nearly as often as it ought to be. I mean, ambient noise, what is that? In the specific case of audio, that is where you have things inter incurring and there are incursions into what you're doing. In my case, it might be a car driving down the road since I'm not recording this in a professional studio. Could be an airplane going by, dogs, whatever, a bump on the table causing a spike. But in the world of photography, noise is a thing. Now, it's not often called ambient noise, but it can very easily consider that as well. People in the frame that you didn't want to be there, that could be considered ambient noise. Getting technical for a moment, the film grain that you saw in, and may still see in extended enlargements uh, from film negatives, or if you have scanned your negatives, that's noise. Digital cameras, if you're shooting in low light at high ISO, very likely to have noise. Noise being random elements present in the result that you have to learn the process of taking advantage of. We all have it in our lives, in our photographs, in everything that we create. It is impossible to completely isolate yourself without becoming more sterile. There are times when that's appropriate, but quite honestly, I suspect that you're creations, your art, the things that you decide that represent an aspect of your personality and your creativity are served better by including a bit of natural chaos into it. I know that uh, it, in many cases, my work is improved by things that you don't expect. And in fact, something that would both be considered visual noise and compositional noise turned out to be a really spectacular find in one of the photos from the balloon races themselves. 
Dawn Patrol. That's when you have uh, a limited ascension of balloons. You have some pilots going up early on in the process. And so I got a frame of these balloons against clouded dark sky. It was a one-second exposure, and I'll link to it in the... Uh, uh, in the companion post. Don't forget about those. I do companion posts with each episode. And so when I was shooting it, I had saw the quick review on the back of the camera. Great. It looked like I had framed it pretty interestingly. First view of the image when I was doing the starting the processing. Okay. So the balloons are clumped in the middle. Great. They were close together. Most of them uh, were moving just a little bit, but that's okay because one of them was intact, sharp focus. But then I realized what the, if you'll pardon the phrasing, bigger picture looked like. And it turns out that uh, I named this image to reflect what I saw, and it's Dawn Patrol Against the Stars. So what I wound up with was an image that if you didn't take the time to look at it, you would think, okay, this needs to be cropped. The composition wasn't great. It should have been closer, etc., etc. But imagine and if you go to the companion post, you won't have to imagine, you'll get to see it. The dark blue luminous sky of pre-dawn in a one-second exposure, the grayish-white clouds that come from that same sort of thing, from the ambient light, the balloons that were reflecting the light, they actually are easy to see and brilliant against the sky, against a star field. This one caught me by surprise when I saw the result. Uh, one second exposures tends to pick up more things than you're going to realize. And so you have to look at these things closely in processing. And it turns out that the end result was much more interesting, much more spectacular than I thought I had captured. Why? Ultimately, because of something that could be considered ambient noise. The lesson for this one, I believe, is to look around and don't try to sterilize your environment unless you specifically and intentionally require that to get your result. And if you believe that you require that sterile environment, I'd challenge you to question that and see whether a bit of chaos, a bit of randomness, a bit of natural environment wouldn't actually improve what it is you're trying to show. That's going to do it for this episode. Be good to everybody, particularly the photographers around you. And when you are frustrated by the noise in your life and in your photos, take a second and try and decide whether it's actually helping you. Check out the catalog on my site, bmb.photos. If you want to support this podcast by picking up a print, I'll be adding metal prints to select images soon. If you are a business or know of one that prefers to support small photographers, send them my way. Check out the companion post to this and all the other episodes. And let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to Vocal Length. Find out more at V as in Victor, vocallength.com or at bmb.photos slash vocal length. Talk to you soon.